That was a huge wake-up call, because if you cannot make final delivery with gold, that means it cannot serve its purpose as a medium of exchange. And I realized that it's basically the wickedness of man that prevents gold from being ultimately ideal money, because you need human beings' help and permission to transact in it and to move it. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Hey, everybody. This is the next episode of High Hash Rate. Welcome back. Today, we have uh, our very own Alex Stanzik. Alex Stanzik. Dan? You guys, you, uh, you guys will probably recognize Alex's voice. If you're a regular on the uh, Cafe Bitcoin Twitter spaces, Alex hosts and moderates that every morning. It's usually a good discussion. Thanks for coming on, Alex. How's it going? It's going awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. So, uh, so Alex, give us a little bit of, not your necessarily your background, but what you do. Like You're more than just the host of Cafe Bitcoin. So how do you, uh, how do you work at Swan? Yeah, so at Swan, uh, I work in the Swan private group. And what we do is we deal with all, this, all the Swan private clients. So people who are, who are coming in buying a certain amount of Bitcoin or using a certain amount of uh, dollar value of Swan's product lines, uh, we cater to those folks. And uh, yeah, I work with a group of about six other guys doing that. Yeah, I'm currently working. I live uh, about three blocks away from Warren Buffett. I'm, I'm tr- I see him at the diner. I'm working on him. I'm trying to send him your way. Just make sure I get that Swan Force <laughs> referral. I'll hook you up, man. How did you get into this? What were you doing before? And how did you end up being a, a private client, you know, salesman and, and Twitter personality? Yeah, so we don't use the word salesman. We use the word rep. Why not? Uh, why not? I don't know. Some people have some, sometimes there's a negative connotation to the salesman sure. thing. Typically when we're talking to clients, we're not really convincing anybody to buy Bitcoin. You know, the people who are coming up to us, they already know they want to buy Bitcoin. So usually it's about, okay, well, why should I buy, why should I use Swan versus like one of these other platforms? Like what's the, what's the reason that I want to work with Swan? So that's usually what we're covering that kind of thing. And it's just a very high touch concierge kind of white glove service you know for people who want to come to bitcoin but they don't know a whole lot about it and they just want to have somebody they can reach out to at any time and just talk to about the industry that's that's what our clientele pretty much looks like so how do i come into this um prior to getting involved in the bitcoin as in bitcoin as an industry i used to work in the gold space like if i rewind the clock way back coming out of high school i joined the military coming right out of high school did that for a handful of years and then coming out of the military, I went into the IT industry and I did that for like 11 years. And then um, I checked out and moved down to Panama, Central America for 11 years Mm. and uh, got into the gold business down there. And for the eight years previous to working with Swan, I managed a a regulated gold fund based out of Switzerland. So we used the, the refineries over there as kind of our liquidity providers in gold, so to speak, and we were vaulting and whatnot over there. And uh, at one point, I had figured out, this is in the 2020-ish time frame, early 2020, really during COVID, like (laughs) 
but you know, there was a lot of time to do a lot of research and I started figuring out that, that Bitcoin was just way better money. Yeah. And uh, by the end of that year, I was like, man, I need to change industries. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, there's, I have a lot in common with you, not necessarily the Panama side, but so all of us here are veterans where you were in the army. I was, I was Navy first. Navy. Yeah. And then uh, I did that for about three and a half years, got out for a couple of years. And then I went back into, into, into the army. What, what was your, army. Yeah. what was your role in these, in these uh, branches? So in the Navy, I was what they call a gunner's mate. And uh, that means I did, I did the weapons platform, small arms, managing armory, did the, the range training, the command personnel on how to, you know, shoot stuff like that. Manage the security teams, yada, yada, gun mounts. You have a, I'm assuming you have a respect for weapons. Oh, I love them. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a certified firearms instructor. I'm one of a handful of people in the state of North Dakota that's uh, authorized by the state to instruct and test for concealed weapons licenses here. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, like I was in the air force, um, and around 2008 was when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old. And I started getting into, you know, I had some money. I was from my paychecks. I was always deployed. So I didn't have any money to spend it on. So I was investing it uh, right around the financial crisis. And I got into gold. So I was like a 21 year old gold bug. Uh, and I was really into that. Luckily, I. How did you guys I, get into gold, though? That's a different. Uh, <laughs> it's like, come on. You don't like, usually find guys that young. Like, buying gold. I'm a high school kid. I'm not going to get into fucking gold. So like, when, when the economy crashed, I was like a little bit more of a doom, you know, everybody's like doomsday. This is the end, you know, the great financial crisis turned out to not be quite that bad, but, um, I was trying to find, you know, I didn't trust the dollar. I had read like Ron Paul's and the fed and I had gotten in like Milton Friedman. I'd been reading stuff like that. I was, I was on these like long missions. I flew on the RC one thirty five. It was a recon a spy plane basically. And I was the systems engineer. So I had to make wow. sure everything ran like all the ELINT, all the SIGINT, all the processors, all that stuff. I had to make sure that that was running, but you know, typically it, it didn't break all the time. It was always running. So I would just sit on the plane for 14 hour missions and I had nothing to do. How so long was your training for that, by the way? About a year uh, total. Yeah. My training was five, four month training as a plumber <laughs> Hey, in the air force. You, but then you were a journeyman. You learn on the job. Sure. My, my job was, you can only have so many people on a plane. So I didn't have like a supervisor. And if the Iranian missile targeting systems were pointed at us and the, the Raven, the, the Elon equipment was down, you know, you had to get that <laughs> stuff back up, but yeah, it was a gold bug. And, and I luckily I timed it. I sold near the top of my gold and silver in 2011. So, uh, I kind of got, got, that's where I got my initial slush fund, I guess you could say. But, yeah, nice. uh, and I found, I found Bitcoin after the 2017 crash, but we talked about that before, but I also got, became a Bitcoiner, I would say in, uh, 2020, but the thing I was leading up to it was with that, uh, my, my Twitter handle heartland Bitcoin. I was trying to, I had a, a website, heartlandbitcoin.com. And that's what my point well, I was trying to be like a, a concierge to like the local area, like all the rich guys that wanted to learn about Bitcoin self-custody I'd kind of be there their uh sherpa if you so to speak so yeah it was military gold bug and turned into a tried to be a concierge guy so alex, alex, alex how, how did you get into gold so <clears throat> when i moved down to panama um like uh i had i had met this guy down there 
and uh, his him and his family used to hang out at my at my house we, we had this house up on the side of a mountain in the jungle um overlooking the pacific ocean and they used to come out on the weekends and we'd stay up late drinking wine like you know two three four o'clock in the morning just talking about whatever and this one i mean one night the guy's like uh I, I'm, I'm asking him like so tell me about your business and he's like i'm a bullion banker mate and he's an australian dude i'm said and i said you're a what can you explain that to me a little better and so he started explaining what that all meant and then uh this guy actually uh red pilled me about inflation i didn't really understand what inflation was all i knew is, is that as a kid growing up in high school, I thought, man, if I could just make six figures someday, I'd be stinking rich. Right. And then at one point in my life, I started making that kind of money and I still wasn't rich. So I was like, what the hell, what's going on here? You know, there should be piles of cash lying around. And I didn't understand. I saw the prices running away from me over time. And I didn't understand why. And so this guy explained to me the process of inflation and monetary debasement and that blew my mind wow here i was you know thinking i maybe knew a little bit about business i didn't know jack and and that really kind of turned my entire mentality and thinking so uh yeah i started buying gold i sold everything i owned <laughs> and bought gold sold property up in the united states bought gold started telling all everybody who would listen buy gold um eventually at some point i started bringing these guys so much business they're like you should just join our team what years or what time frame is this that you were just selling everything and buying gold? Uh, 2007, 2008. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and then, uh, you know, I started, I think I, I started helping those guys officially around the end of 2008-ish, right up until maybe 2012, which is when we started breaking off and launching our, you know, our own funds and stuff like that. Did, did the crash affect you? Which crash? The 2008 <laughs> crash. Uh, not so much. I mean, other than it just enhanced my conviction that the financial, the fiat financial system was pretty much broken. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, a, a wake up call, like, uh, you know, just understanding how, um, how the whole house of cards basically is built and kind of seeing it and seeing how close we got to right. that whole thing coming down. So how did you, how, how did you like Panama? I loved it, man. What's that? Uh, what brought you back to the Midwest? Oh, uh, fa family stuff. You know, I, uh, I had some, I had some kids that, you know, they, their mother grew up in the, in, in the, in the area and she wanted them to learn what it was like growing up around farms and stuff like that. So what do you miss most about it down there? Panama. Yeah, believe it or not, in a lot of well, this was when I was down there. My understanding is things have changed quite a bit since I've been there. But when I was there, uh, I think there was probably a lot more freedom in Panama than than in the United States of America, which was kind of mind blowing to me. But I'll give you a couple a couple of examples. You know, you could be driving down the freeway and you could flip a Yui in the middle of the freeway, and there could be a police officer right there. They don't care. They don't pull you over. They don't, you know, they don't mess with you. Um, I shouldn't say they don't pull you over. They do put, they do pull you over, but I mean, <laughs> you give them 20 bucks, you give them 20 bucks and you're on your way and they don't care. You yeah. know what I mean? They, if you're doing something that it's actually endangering another person, sure. then, they'll, then they'll, but other than that, they don't mess with people. 
do you see yourself, I mean, do you go back often to visit? Do you see yourself going back there to live at some point when the kids are grown? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm leaning more in the direction of El Salvador. If I ever okay. leave the U.S., it might be in the direction of El Salvador. Have you been down to El Salvador yet? Not yet. Plan to go hopefully by the end of this year. Hell yeah, we're going down for adopting Bitcoin right after the LA Bitcoin conference. So you should, nice. uh, if you can get, make it down there, a nice. bunch of swans will be down there. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, El Salvador's great. Um, it's it's definitely got a, a lot of growth and, and stuff to to go before it's before I think that I would consider moving down there. But it's definitely in the back of my mind. What about you, uh, Mike? Do you, what, what would you think about living down there in El Salvador? I have considered it. I have uh, looked at prices of property, right? But the um, the thought that I could actually pick up my entire life with my, you know, I have a yeah. two-year-old, I have, a, you know, a, a one, one on the way. It's, I don't, I don't, it just seems so with the amount of resources I have at my disposal, it doesn't seem um, possible. So, yeah. so it seems it's a dream right now. Uh, it depends where Bitcoin's price goes. <laughs> it really does. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm sort of holding on to. Right. Nice. So Alex, at least from my perspective, it seems like veterans, military people have a, I don't know, like a tendency to appreciate Bitcoin and to get into Bitcoin. Is that, do you agree? Is that from your perspective? That yeah, I think, that- so. I think so. I mean, uh, and I think it depends on the guy too, because obviously there's a lot of different kind of characters in the military, uh, there was the full spectrum when I was in, you know, guys who were smart with their money and guys who were dumb with their money. Um, and for a lot of the younger guys, probably uh, may not be so, at least in my case, I wasn't very good managing money. I, I can yeah. remember, like, I mean, you were, you were a, you were a gold bug investing your money, but I, I always blew my paychecks, man. I couldn't tell you what, where they went. I had no idea after going out, you probably drank most of them, but um, yeah, I think that guys, uh, a lot of guys, I think from the military, at least guys who went in from my perspective that were, you know, waiting for patriotic reasons are very attracted to Bitcoin because it actually offers a pathway to, to freedom that, that we probably wouldn't find any other way, I think. Right. So I don't know what your childhood was like, but I was, you know, I kind of grew up in this, you know, standard Midwest household, American dream, white picket fence. Um, I thought the world was a certain way. Uh, And then I got, you know, like many other people in the military, you get in and you start to see the world as it really is. Was that, was there like that shock to you when you got into the military and you started to travel and, and to see how the world really, how the sausage was really made? Did it, was that a shock to your system about reality? Yeah, in, yeah, in a way. I mean, uh, sure, like getting that perspective about how people outside the United States live is pretty invaluable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think people who grow up in the U.S. and never leave, they really have no idea what the world is really like. I mean, people who grow up here and never leave, it's like Disneyland, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and like <laughs> the rest of the world doesn't live like this. And so, yeah, that was a big wake up call. I think the biggest wake up call really kind of came after I got out and just kind of watching what was happening in the world and then coming to the realization that, man, what are we fighting for? Like, what are, right. we, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? 
And that really makes your like, I don't know, your, your belief in the dollar that that's, I think where my belief in the dollar started to crumble is like seeing just what are we doing? We're like wasting all these resources, fighting all these wars for fine. It's money laundering through like these uh, defense contractors. And it's like, it's not sustainable. And I think when, where it really flipped the switch for me was the the bailout packages after COVID. Uh, you mentioned that you got into Bitcoin in 2020 as well. Like if you want to maybe talk about what, what events led up to you starting to get into it and learning about it and what just, what was the, the catalyst that just clicked in your mind that you're like, this is the better money than gold. This is the better money than fiat. This is, this is it. Yeah. So I had heard of Bitcoin probably around 2012 or so. Um, and I just thought, I thought it was fascinating. I didn't buy any of it, but I thought it was an interesting, you know, experiment. Um, I can remember um, there was, I'm, I'm trying to remember the year. I, I can't recall, but there was this, this thing called Eagle and there was this dude down in Costa Rica. Okay. You're nodding your head. So you remember this, like this mm-hmm. guy, he, he started one of the first sort of Eagle kind of, digital money type things right and he got he got raided like they they dropped on him with the blackhawks and 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 the teams and they they took that guy and i think he's still in jail um but i mean obviously his mistake was it was a centralized thing it had you know they could figure out where the servers were they knew where he was all that kind of stuff but um i looked at that situation and then i I, in my mind i was comparing that to bitcoin because i didn't really understand what bitcoin was at the time i'm like the government's never gonna allow this thing to succeed so i always figured the government would just shut it down when they didn't like it you know it was only a matter of time and then uh fast forward you know through 2017 i bought a little bit after it went over a thousand i sold it again at the end of the year thought it was done thought it was a uh you know a bubble like beanie babies or pet rocks or something like that i was like this thing we're never gonna hear from this thing again 2019, I started looking at these charts and I'm thinking to myself, this thing is consolidating and it's going to run again. And what really I couldn't square in the back of my mind is why is this thing even here still? Why is it still here? Right. And so that's when I started researching it. And then 2020 came around. And, and by then kind of the beginning of 2020, I started to figure out, oh, the reason it's here is because it can't be shut down. Like that's practically impossible, right? So that makes sense why it's still here. Um, And then what really kind of solidified it in my mind, switching from gold to Bitcoin was, I think it was May, I want to say around May timeframe. Happening. Yeah. um, Right at the height of the the COVID kind of crazy, right? The, The Swiss government grounded all the planes in Switzerland. So this was a problem because if, if I had a client who said, Hey, I need you to deliver $50 million worth of gold bars to me in Argentina, I could not do that. And we had never planned for that particular contingency. We had all kinds of different plans in place. I mean, we even bought extra insurance uh, in the event of, uh, of war, riot, government confiscation, stuff like that, which numerally is not covered in, in insurance policies on this kind of stuff. So we tried to think of every potential contingency, but a pandemic where the planes were grounded did not cross our minds. And uh, that was a huge wake up call because if you cannot make final delivery with gold, that means it cannot serve its purpose as a medium of exchange. And I realized that it's basically the wickedness of man that prevents gold from being ultimately ideal money because you need human beings help and permission 
to transact in it and to move it. Like if I wanted to move a large shipment somewhere, I need the help of the vault guys. You need the help of the administrator. I need the help of the customs guys, the ground crews at the airport, the air crews on the plane. Same thing on the other side. Any human being anywhere in that chain could mess that up. If some dude who uh, you know was working the, secu the security trucks knew the shipment was moving, he could just tell his buddies who are in the gang, they could hit the truck, they could take the call. You I mean all that. And that goes from a large scale all the way down to a small scale. Like if I'm in a parking lot and like, you know, I'm going to give a guy a kilo bar of gold for whatever we're meeting up in a parking lot somewhere. Some dude can run up with a gun and point it at us and take it. You still need the cooperation and permission of other human beings to not be hostile and interrupt your transaction. And that's when I realized, Oh, with Bitcoin, you need none of this with Bitcoin. You can send any amount of value pretty much instantly to the other side of the planet at almost no cost and no one can stop you and you need no one's permission. That's when I realized this thing is better money, full stop. Yeah. It reminds me of the story. Uh, I can't remember the exact year, but you probably know about this. The, in the 1850s, like a global depression was sparked because of a ship that was sailing from Europe to, I think, either the United States or one of the colonies sunk and all the gold was just lost at the bottom of the ocean that i mean of an event like that can just you know put the entire world economy into a depression and you know think of the you know obviously didn't have bitcoin back then but it makes me wonder if you could uh you could send bitcoin over the um the more over morse code i wonder if that's still possible yeah i think you can i, I i've heard stories of guys sending it by ham radio i saw this one story about these guys bounced a ham radio signal off the surface of the moon practically from one side of the planet to the other and, and did a Bitcoin transaction. Um, I think, you heard uh, of that? yeah, yeah. I, and also Rigel uh, at Swan, one of the developers, he's got a, I think it's in decrypt magazine, a story about him. He, uh, he used MeshNet to like send, it was similar to like a radio signal to his girlfriend, like a transaction. She was like a few miles away, no internet. I thought that was pretty interesting. That's that's when I started to realize. I mean, because I knew that it was, you know, like you said, unstoppable. But there's always the oh, what if they cut off the internet or you know, not the whole internet in the world, but you know, locally, it's like yeah, you just go to the border and you send your transaction on a radio across the border to somebody else, and they can move your money for you. But uh, yeah, and now you, yeah. you now you have other factors in that equation too, like Starlink, right? Once right. Starlink is fully deployed. You know, that's that's covering the surface of the planet. The, the one thing I wondered about Starlink and, and my girl pointed out this particular thing out to me. She's like, well, in a way that might be centralized, too, because they could basically go to Elon with a gun and say, you need to shut this area down. But he literally he has literally said, hey, unless they come to us and point guns at us, we're never going to do that because right, they try to know. get him to shut down Russia. He wouldn't do it. And they could be, you know, right. That's true. They can, there could be a competition or a competitor competitor to Starlink too. So once you get a couple of those out there, I don't know if you need them, but uh, then it becomes more, you have, you have choices and shout out to diligent ninja. He was on like one of our first five guests. He's like living up in the wilderness off the grid in North, like Northern British Columbia. And he used Starlink to, uh, to get internet connection, do his interview with us. That's pretty boss. So Alex, uh, who are your, who are you the, what were the resources that you 
use to uh, research Bitcoin or like, did you, was it podcast books, anybody in particular that stuck out in your mind? Yeah. Some of the most, um, well, just everything I could get my hands on really. Like I read a lot of articles. I read, I listened to a lot of pods, um, started reading books. I've read a ton more books since then, but one of the things that I think had the biggest effect on me was, uh, some of Robert Breedlove's stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, that one article that he wrote about, uh, basically I'm paraphrasing it because I remember the exact name. It was essentially about the theft of time. He was talking about the, the beads, the glass beads they used to use for as money in Africa and how they basically just stole the time of, um, I don't know how many, how many African, but it was a lot. Yeah. And, and that was very mind blowing to me. Um, and then also, uh, Marty Bent, Matt O'Dell. I listened to a lot of their stuff. Uh, they, yeah. they answered a lot of the questions having to do with, you know, um, dangers to the network and things of that nature that helped me overcome a lot of my concerns in that area. You said that you were in IT for a few years. Are you, do you, you get more into the financial outside of it? Uh, with that background or more on the technical side of, of Bitcoin? I'm not sure what you mean by that. I guess, are you more fascinated? Like when you learn about Bitcoin now, what consumes your time? Do you kind of look into the technical aspects of Bitcoin or more of the philosophical or the financial? Yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in the monetary properties, actually. On the tech mm-hmm. side, I mean, I, I had to satisfy a certain level of my logic, but the truth is, is that there are guys working on the tech side of Bitcoin that are way smarter than me. And, uh, you know, I just sort of trust that we've had at this point, thousands, if not tens of thousands of really good coders that have looked at the code. And if there was something malicious in it, we would know by now it's open source. They can see it. So I just kind of rely upon that. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm most interested in the, the monetary aspects of it because I believe that, that is closely tied into freedom. And if you, you know, fiat by nature is, it's basically, it's enslaved all of mankind and people don't really realize it. Yeah, I think one of the most bullish things I'm on is Africa. I mean, one of the biggest problems that they've had for generations is the no, per, you know, no rule of law or protection of pri- private property. And Bitcoin gives them that protection but the ability to protect their their property and their ability to transact across borders which believe it or not uh if you're listening to this like most african countries if they have a business and they're right on the border with another country they don't necessarily have uh, the payment rails where they can digitally transact with those um those you know b2b foreign businesses and i think that that's i mean i think i don't, I don't know when the last time i saw the statistic but 30, about 33% of on-chain Bitcoin volume comes out of Nigeria alone, which is insane. It's, it's really blowing up over there. And I, I don't, I don't think I've asked specifically on this podcast, but I don't know where all you've traveled besides Panama, but where have you traveled? If any place that you see real potential for the people in that country to really benefit from Bitcoin. 
Well, really, I think any third world country, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of the Western nations. Um, but like, even over in the Middle East, I think there's, uh, you know, there's a very, like, there's a lot of places in the world where, where you have the wealthy and there's a very tiny slice of the population. And then everybody else is dirt poor. And, uh, any country that's got those kind of dynamics going on, I think it really starts to level the playing field for, for a lot of those kind of people in any, any place in the world where people have just never had any chance for capital accumulation at all uh, because the money has always been corrupt or the regime has already always been corrupt. Yeah. It's, it's a really valuable thing for a huge portion of the human population. And the thing that's interesting in a way, a little bit appalling is that in the West, you know, it's like everybody's running on this hamster wheel, trying to keep up with the rat race and the status and all that crap. But the reality is, is that as people fall off the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, people just pretend they're like not there anymore. And they right. pretend that in, if in the West, they pretend all these people, you know, billions of people around the planet who are basically in poverty, they just ignore them for the most part. And, and Bitcoin doesn't ignore anybody. Well, it sort of feels like that's because um, you don't want to become that thing. So you sort of reject it. Or it's like old people. You see like the elderly people and you're like, you see what you're going to become. And like, you just don't want to think about it. You see like the poor people on the street. You just want to ignore it. I mean, there's different reasons why, but. It's just, yeah, you know, that monkey on your back is like coming for you constantly. You're constantly feeling that burden of having to make more, make more, make more. It's so. Fiat. Like, fuck yeah, yeah. Man. that's the fiat behavior mechanism man. it's a it's a horrible thing what it's done to humanity it's robbing our time it's robbing our future and our present yeah, yeah for, sure. for sure um i was gonna ask about uh how you sort of developed this uh great voice for radio on uh, cafe bit on cafe bitcoin I just, I, I just, it's just like such a distinct voice, Alex. It's like, wow, how'd you do it? I don't know that I developed it. I just, I don't know. I got a really good microphone. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been doing that? About a year now? Yeah, I started, uh, it would have been November of last year. Is it, how's it grown and matured in that year? I mean, it's Man, a pretty, it's, it's a streamlined crazy. process. It's like a morning, it's like a morning AM show or radio show. Yeah. Like it started out as, as Bitcoin breakfast club. And like Corey was just encouraging me to, you know, get involved with that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. And I wanted to learn anyway. So what ended up happening was I was hanging out in these Twitter spaces and like all the spaces I was joining, everybody was just yelling at each other. So it was really hard to learn anything, you know what I mean? And I got tired of that. So finally I was like, I'm just going to start a space on my own and I'm not going to let people yell at each other so I can learn. Right. And so that turned into just a regular thing where I was hosting and people would come in there and people who wanted to learn, who didn't really want to yell at each other would hang out in that, in my space. And that just kept growing and growing. And at some point Corey was like, Hey, we should brand this cafe Bitcoin after what they started on clubhouse. And then we did that. So I started calling a cafe Bitcoin and then, and then we hired Jacob, who's basically the producer of my show. And then, then it started blowing up because 
he turned it into like a professional thing, like all the sound editing and all the uploading of podcasts and booking of guests and all that other kind of stuff. He does a lot of heavy lifting in the background. I have the easy job. I just talk. And then, yeah, now we got here announcing Michael Saylor coming to the, the pack Bitcoin Pacific Bitcoin conference. It's, it's kind of mind blowing actually. Yeah. And he was, he was on today, wasn't he? He was on uh, or two days ago. Yeah. I guess it was yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. And he was saying how, how he's coming in the pack Bitcoin conference. And it's going to be the event of the year. The he announced that on your show. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Saylor announced that shit on your show. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That. That's cool. So how do your, uh, how do your old colleagues in the gold business, what do they think of what you're doing now? Uh, you know what? Most of them don't talk to me about it. <laughs> I think they, uh, there's, there's a handful of them who think that I've lost my mind probably. Um, there's some of them that are more, um, open-minded, uh, you know, you've got certain people in that industry have, that have started to figure it out. Ronnie Stoffel comes to mind and then Larry Lepard. I mean, these are, these are very intelligent men and they've, they've figured it out. And, uh, there's still a ton of, um, people from the gold space who, you know, I think for, I don't know what their reasons are, but, uh, they just haven't come over to it yet. I think a lot of them probably will, but then you got people like Peter Schiff who may never come over. I don't know. I think there's a lot of sunk cost bias going on with some of these folks, which is understandable. Yeah. And I think that it's a, a lot of people think there's going to be like this sudden event of hyper Bitcoinization, but I think it's going to be more of an attrition thing. I think you got a lot of gold bugs or, you know, boomers or even older. And I don't know that they'll necessarily ever come around. I think that they'll just, take their um their worldviews to the grave with them and i think Maybe. a lot i think i think some will still convert but so i kind of leads my question like what how do you think this dollar collapse is going to play out do you think it's going to happen really quickly in the next few years or do you think it's going to be more a more slow gradual process where it's just going to be uh stop being the reserve currency and, and, and bitcoin's going to replace it in some of these smaller countries and over time it'll just slowly replace fiat if it does at all yeah i don't i don't know i'm not 100 convinced that the dollar will ever go away uh and it, it might be around in some incarnation moving into the future for who knows how long right i think people who come to the conclusion that they need to figure out a way to actually save their their the the fruit of their labor will buy bitcoin as a savings but uh I think the dollar was, I mean, as far as purchasing power of the dollar, I don't know. I feel like it's accelerating. I mean, what I think about is, is that it's a compounding system, right? So if the, if the fed targets a 2% rate of inflation and that's year by year by year, that's, that's mathematically, that's a compounding effect, right? So how does compounding work? Well, on a graph, it looks like a hockey stick. You go for a long, 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 long time and it looks super, super flat. And then like, 30, 40, 50 years later, it turns the corner, it goes straight up. I feel like we're on the beginning of the straight up part. Like if you look at the rate of, of monetary expansion, just how much they're printing in terms of these stimulus packages and all these different kind of bills that they're creating for three and a half trillion and four trillion and however many trillion dollars at a time, the amount of uh, the amount of currency debasement that's going on right now, I feel like it's going 
starting to go straight up. So there's that. And then the last part, and this is the part that I think a lot of people who are, you know, they're, they're, they're market analysts or they're economists or people who study finance. They don't like to talk about the hyperinflation aspect of things because they like to be able to model risk. They don't like to talk about uncertainty. Okay. So risk is where you, you can kind of get some kind of model to determine the probability chance of it occurring. And then you can, you know, you can take steps to, to hedge against those kind of outcomes. However, with uncertainty, you have no idea what's going to happen. And if you study the way currencies collapse, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't happen in an orderly fashion. It almost always at some point goes into a runaway waterfall effect. And that is similar to a phase transition in, in physics, you know, like water going from water to a boil or like a, you know, a, a pack of snow on the side of a mountain that turns into an avalanche or, you know, something like that. It's basically a massively complex system that all of a sudden has a gigantic phase transition and just changes complete energy states very rapidly. And that's the way collapses actually behave if you study how they work. You feel like you'll be protected if you're, if you hold Bitcoin. Oh yeah. I think it's one of the only things that will protect people at this point in time. Why? Bitcoin is in an asset class of its own completely. And that is a hundred percent uncorrelated to confiscation. <laughs> <laughs> Every asset on the planet can be confiscated except for Bitcoin. If you think about it, land property can be taken from you either through taxation property taxes, or just like, literally, they'll just take it from you. Same thing with gold stocks, bonds, bank accounts, retirement accounts, all of it. I think maybe you'll agree with me, but I think you need a diversified portfolio somewhat because I think there's, especially if there's a collapse, the other most important thing you're going to need is ammo and guns. Do you, uh, <laughs> how do you feel about that softball? So yes, I <laughs> well done, well done. I, I agree with a diversified portfolio: <laughs> rice, uh, possibly tobacco products, coffee, uh, lots of ammo, lots and lots of ammo, uh, a decent supply of water. Yeah, all, all those kind of things are super important. Not to mention stacking the Bitcoin. What's your uh, What's your favorite gun of yours to to shoot? <laughs> Do you like handguns, or are you a, a rifle guy? I, I really love rifles. I haven't shot them as much as I want to. Uh, that's an area that I, that I want to get more into for sure. Um, handgun. I love handgun. That's where, what I instruct on the most is handgun. Um, and I, I did some USPSA competition, not that I'm suit, you know, I, I never came in in the grandmaster master area, whatever, but, uh, I loved doing that. That was a lot of fun. So I, I really enjoy that. What is like, that? What is that competition? USPSA. Yeah. What is that? It's uh, you, you have what's called action bays, and in the action bays, they'll have a, a series of of targets and barriers and cover, and you have to move to different locations, and mm -hmm. you have to reload, and you have to engage multiple targets, and your your time. So it's it's basically a, a competition of how fast and how accurate you can be while moving, shooting, and reloading. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that question to the fellow California listeners, Mike. <laughs> uh, Alex, are you are you like a an outdoorsman? Like, are you like one of those guys that could like go live off the land or hunt elk in the mountains? You know, is that your thing? 
No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I'd say uh, that's my my end goal is to be more self resilient. I mean, ideally, you know, some little patch of land somewhere that's very separated from major cities with uh, running water, timber, and critters uh, is is an ideal end environment for me. But no, I don't. I don't do a lot of hunting. Um, I like it. But uh, yeah, that's that's to come. I have a lot of work to do yet. Orange pilling a crap ton more people first. Yeah, over the next couple of years. So yeah, going back to Cafe Bitcoin, you know, there's a lot of people that reach out to me on Twitter, and I'm sure you as well. And they they're maybe they're kind of newer, at least to Bitcoin Twitter, and they they want to get involved. They want to start getting into the community. To you know, how would you? Let me, how do I phrase the question? <laughs> how would you, uh, what, what advice would you give to them? You know, anybody can kind of come up and speak their mind and get into the debate on cafe Bitcoin. Is that pretty much how it is? You just have to raise your hand and just have to get involved or is there, you know, a certain set amount of people who get to speak? Yeah. So typically what we do is we have, uh, we've been doing it long enough to where we know who is going to bring good signal. Uh, and, and what we do in the mornings is we'll usually cover some news topics and stuff like that with a, with a, with, I mean, it varies from day to day who's coming up and talking, but we, we recognize generally who's going to bring some pretty good signal. Then we'll usually have a special guest. Some days we'll do like a Q and a, and then we just let anybody come up. And as long as they're not disruptive, you know, we just let them do their thing and we'll help them the best we can. So it varies from day to day, depending on what we're doing. Do you have a disruptive moments? In the beginning, we had some when I was still trying to figure out how to make sure those things didn't happen. You have uh, do you have blacklisted guys that you're just like, I'm oh, never yeah. bringing you up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And our whole crew knows who they are, too. So they don't bring them up either. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, well, uh, are, you, uh, are you guys good to uh, sort of wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Alex, uh, let, let people know where, where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you and how you can help them, how you can help orange pill. Yeah, sure. So on Twitter, I'm at Alex Stanzik, S T A N C Z Y K. You can catch us on cafe Bitcoin every morning, uh, starting at 7 AM Pacific time, uh, live on Twitter spaces. <clears throat> it's also a podcast that's up on Spotify, Apple, um, yeah, Fountain, wherever you get your regular podcast, just search for Cafe Bitcoin. And uh, if you're interested in Swan, you can just look me up, Alex at swanbitcoin.com. Happy to help you. Uh, yeah. Final question. What uh, is there any plan? What do we do with the sats that, that people might stream on Fountain or Albi Dessert? Do we donate them or is that like a, a cover business costs? Um, so the pod is basically, or the show is basically sponsored by Swan because Swan's mm -hmm. paying for the producer and, and whatnot. Um, we haven't really made a decision on what we're going to do with the strip with this, with the stream sats yet. Um, it, it'll probably in some way or another, go back either into the show or into the community one way or another. Um, I mean, we were thinking about doing different kinds of contests or whatever, where we might just give them back to people if we'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. That's a, that's a really interesting concept. That's a really interesting concept, like game sort of game show style, like, but maybe that's not cafe Bitcoin, right? Not on brand. <laughs> not on brand.
Cool, man. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us at, at High Hash Rate on Twitter. Or you can hit up uh, Dan at Heartland Bitcoin on Twitter and myself, Mike. I am at Rundance BTC. Yeah.